You're listening to the Emerald City Sportscast, presented by Hollywood and Vine's recording studio. And now, here's Dan. All right, you guys. Today's supposed to be a day off for me. Day to work on other things. The live show is tomorrow, but there was just too much news to ignore. And just when you think that the biggest news of the day is that the Seahawks extend their general manager, John Schneider, for another five years, uh, they go and one-up themselves. News breaking within the last half an hour. First to report it, Adam Schefter of ESPN, that the Seahawks have fired offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer just 24 hours after Pete Carroll gave him an endorsement and said that he was offended by the idea that he would fire one of his coordinators coming off a season in which the Seahawks won the division title. Brian Schottenheimer out after three years as the Seahawks offensive coordinator. A stunning failure in their first-round wildcard playoff loss to the Rams. Very reminiscent in some ways uh, of the, the playoff loss to Dallas. Stylistically, it was different, of course, but just the fact that the offense failed so dramatically in that game. Um, this is kind of a hard one to wrap your head around. And uh, we're going to try to do it. It's just a short one to give you my quick thoughts. Uh, take 10 or 15 minutes here today and, and react to the news. Kind of give you a little bit of context, what I think might be happening, and then maybe where they go next. Um, and then, of course, tomorrow, the live show on the 365 Sportscast at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, what great timing this is. Special guest Bill Alvstad of the Hawks Playbook podcast is going to be joining me on air. And um, the theme of that show is we were going to, kind of compare plans. What would we do if we were the GM of the Seahawks? Well, they've already beat us to it and made some big moves. Brian Schottenheimer was a lightning rod from the moment he was he was hired. Um, he had had a mixed bag of success earlier in his career with the Jets and Rams. Um, his reputation as a teacher, as a quarterback coach, as a, as a person, as a guy, um, was stellar. Son of Marty Schottenheimer, of course. Um, and, and you look at what he did, for all of the hand-wringing and, and 2018, they ran the ball too much. They were too predictable. 2019 was probably the, their best job of balancing it. And then 2020, they come out, let Russ cook. First five games, they're 5-0. and They're leading the league in scoring. Russ is throwing the ball over the yard with success. And then the second half of the season, the league adjusted to them, and they never adjusted back. I think that was Schottenheimer's undoing. I've talked about it on the show. His his failure, his lack of ability, it would seem, to adapt, not just in the big picture, the season, as teams figured out what the Seahawks were trying to do and adjusted their schemes and, and how they were going to attack us. So in a big picture sense, from week to week game planning for particular opponents, he failed. But within the games as well, in the smaller battles, the weekly battles, his his inability to adjust. The Giants game stands out the most. They could never get going and they never changed their approach. We think, and we hear it all the time, Seahawks are a second half team. They're going to go in the in the locker room at halftime and make some adjustments, come out firing. Uh, and that didn't happen. It was like offensively the last half of the season, they really just kept pounding their head against a brick wall, trying to throw the football deep. And it was a combination, I think, of what Schottenheimer was calling and what Russell wanted to do, and it was a it was a losing combination um, in the playoffs. Anyway, but here's the the weird thing: 
Brian Schottenheimer, by all metrics, didn't fail as an offensive coordinator here. Top 10 in scoring offense all three seasons. Top 20 in yardage, but top 10 in scoring offense. Um, and just yesterday when Carroll sat down with, I think it was Greg Bell of the, of the News Tribune and gave a, a, a really honest, kind of stark, open interview and he, and he sounded defensive when he was asked point blank uh, if, if Brian Schottenheimer was going to be a back at offensive coordinator. He said, I'm offended that anyone would think that I would, that I would fire someone. But then at the same time, he said, we need to run the ball more. I know fans don't want to hear that, but we need to run the ball more and we need to run the ball more effectively. Actually, he said effectively first, and then he corrected himself and said, actually, we need to run it more, which fans don't want to hear. And so now I'm seeing a lot of it on Twitter. Um, a lot of consternation of he's going to go hire some lackey to carry out his orders. He's going to go hire someone that just wants to pound the football like we did in 2018, become more predictable, more vanilla. Maybe this is just the optimist in me or the, or the, the hopeful optimist in me. I don't think that's necessarily the case for a couple of reasons. One, you can run the ball more and more effectively and still have balance and still use your Pro Bowl quarterback, your Hall of Fame quarterback to his fullest ability and, and throw the ball effectively and throw it deep and hit the deep shots and make the most out of DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. You can do both. It's about planning on a week-in, week-out basis for that particular defense you're facing. I feel like that was not an area of strength for Schottenheimer. It's about having feel during the course of a game. Think about some examples. We saw a lot of it over the weekend. If you're like me, you watched all five of the other wildcard games and you thought, oh, I wish we were that offense, right? Buffalo, physical running game to set up the play-action pass, but they certainly throw it a lot. Josh Allen was an MVP candidate this year. The Titans, same idea. Ryan Tannehill, 4,000-yard passer, pretty prolific passer, can beat you over the top with A.J. Brown. And, but they have Derrick Henry, runs for 2,000 yards as well. The Cleveland game really stands out to me. What Alex Van Pelt did as a play caller on Sunday in the absence of of Kevin Stefanski, who was out with COVID. They threw the ball a lot. Baker Mayfield threw it 30 times, had a good game. Kept throwing it even when they had a lead. They were diverse. But they pounded the football with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. And physically dominated the Steelers up front. You can have both. Now, whether that's going to happen or not, we won't know until we see the hire. But there is some early evidence that things might be okay. And that is almost immediately after Schefter announced the Schottenheimer move, Mike Garofalo, the NFL Network, someone who is always on top of things, who is typically very accurate with his information, and in particular, over the years, seems to have some good connections in Seattle and has been right about some impending moves. 
he is reporting that Shane Steichen, I don't know if I'm pronouncing the name right or not, offensive coordinator of the Chargers for the last year and a half, after Anthony Lynn fired Ken Wisenhunt in 2019, he promoted Steichen, who had worked his way up from a quality control coach, quarterback coach, and he controlled that offense for the last year and a half. Steichen doesn't exactly, and Garofalo reported that his sources are telling him the Seahawks are interested, that he is on the short list. Now, Steichen's under contract through 2021. Anthony Lynn's been fired. Some of the staff remains. They would have to have permission to interview him. Uh, but most likely, in most cases, unless they're thinking of elevating him to head coach, and it doesn't sound like he's at that level yet uh, in, in how he's thought of around the league, um, it doesn't sound like that would be an issue. But here's the Shane Steichen profile. He's 35 years old. As I said, worked his way up. Actually, was on the defensive side of the ball as a quality control guy for a couple of years before moving to offense. Let's look at what they did on offense with the Chargers. Rookie quarterback, Justin Herbert, playing his first season in the league. 67% completion percentage, 4,300 yards, 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Managing a rookie quarterback is difficult for any coordinator, having to account for that lack of experience in how you scheme. They weren't among the league leaders in, in running the football. Didn't help that Austin Eckler got hurt early on, missed six games. Uh, he led the team in rushing with 530 yards. Carson, I think, had 640. And then Josh Kelly had 354. Kalen Balaj had 290. So not a dominant running game. Eckler averaged 4.6 yards per carry. The other guys were below four. But here's what stands out to me, because... When I talk about the offense that I saw the second half of the season, and and when you've heard me express my frustrations with how that offense was coordinated, it wasn't just need to run the ball here, need to throw the ball here. It was, I believe that a good offensive coordinator, and, and this goes back to my experience with Dennis Erickson at Washington State and Mike Price at Washington State and watching those guys work and being close to the football department and being good friends with the starting quarterback and, and kind of being in on some of some of those processes. What I loved about Dennis Erickson in his prime is early in the game, from the opening kickoff, he would stress the defense at every level on the field. In his game plan, he would have sideline-to-sideline side shots. He would have deep shots. He would hit the middle of the field. He would run the football. He'd run the football inside. He'd run the football outside. He'd throw the ball to his backs. He'd involve his inside receivers. Never saw that from Schottenheimer. Occasionally, the, the first couple of drives would be good, the, the ones that he would script. And then when it got into where you have to rely on feel and your ability to adjust, he would come up empty. And we wouldn't see those things. We would just see them trying to do the same thing over and over again. Long developing deep drops, trying to get the ball downfield. Long developing combo routes. Not enough throws to the slot. Not enough throws to the running back. Not enough usage of the tight end consistently. Now, I had someone point out to me after Eric Briggs and I had a conversation about tight ends a couple of weeks ago that if you add up all of the, the production from all the Seahawks tight ends, that it, that it added up to, if, you, if that was one guy, it would have been an all-pro. But there were it wasn't consistent enough. Nothing was. 
But if you look at what the Chargers did, there's a couple things that stand out. One of the first things I did is I looked at the tight ends. Seahawk tight ends last year caught 75 balls. Um, Los Angeles Chargers, they caught 81. But they were targeted about 30 times more than Seahawk tight ends were targeted. Uh, Their leading receiver in the tight end group was Hunter Henry, 60 catches on 93 targets. That's enticing to me, but this is even better. Seahawk running backs caught 80 passes altogether in 2020. L.A. Charger, I still want to call him San Diego. L.A. Charger running backs caught 124 balls. To me, if you're getting your butt kicked by Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd and you're you're giving up interior pressure and Russ doesn't have a lot of time to throw and he's having to scramble around. Teams are sending extra guys and they're playing too deep and they're trying to take away the middle of the field. The way that you attack that the first way is you get the ball out to the running back. You make them account for the running backs in the passing game. And so, and also, Justin Herbert threw for more yards than Russell Wilson did this year. They threw it more often. Where do I have that number? I thought I wrote that down. Um, they threw it at pass attempts. Here it is. 627 to 563. They threw it 60 more times than the Seahawks did. A lot of those throws are to the running backs. Throwing it out to the running back can be an extension of the running game. God, how many times I heard that being a Coug fan from Mike Leach the last couple of years, imploring him to run the football more. And his answer was, well, we throw it to the running back. But that can be an incredible asset. And I think in particular, when you look at Russell Wilson's skill set and what he struggles with and what that offense struggles with, and we can talk about how they need to improve that interior offensive line, center, left guard. But so many of those sacks that he took this year, we all agree were on him holding the football too long, looking downfield. That wasn't all him. It wasn't all Schottenheimer. It was a combination of the two. So anyway, the fact that they're looking at a guy, Mike Garofalo reports that they are interested in Shane Steichen as their next offensive coordinator. He's one of the names. Haven't seen any others that have been um, officially reported yet as having a connection. That would indicate to me that, that, oh, Carroll's just going to go hire, you know, another Gary Kubiak type to just pound the football and be conservative and do what he wants. I don't know. I don't know. It also leads me to look at, okay, who are some of the other young guys that he might be considering? And the two names that stand out to me are in San Francisco. Mike LaFleur, brother Matt LaFleur, and Mike McDaniel. Now, LaFleur runs the passing game for Mike Shanahan. McDaniel runs the running game. So I would think just based on that, let's eliminate LeFleur. Mike McDaniel, to me, would seem to be an outstanding candidate for what Carroll wants to do because San Francisco 49ers, as much as their offense looks complex and can be dynamic, they run the football. That's what Mike Shanahan wants to do first and foremost. Got that from his dad. They want to run the football at you and be physical, use multiple backs. And then I also like the way that they incorporate some run-after-catch type uh, pass patterns and, and getting their receivers involved. 
So look for that name. I wonder if we'll see Mike McDaniel mentioned. He's a guy that would make a lot of sense. I've heard a lot of people say Doug Peterson since he got fired today with the Eagles. Um, the question then becomes, how attractive is this job? Because on one hand, the opportunity to coach Russell Wilson in, in his prime with arguably a ton of talent around him, one of the best up-and-coming wide receiver weapons in the league and DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett coming off a 100-catch season in his prime. Um, the running back room, we'll have to sort that out, but a lot of talent in the tight end room with Disley and Hollister and Parkinson who wasn't even utilized at all this year. Um, there are some pieces on the offensive line. You don't have to tear the whole thing down and build it back up again. My, I maintain that if you just find the right left guard in the draft that can start as a rookie, that that pairing Posick between Damian Lewis and another Damian Lewis type in 2021 will be an upgrade. Uh, they have to move on from Mike Upati. But the pieces are there. You'd think that would be exciting for an offensive coordinator. But then coordinators want to be left alone. Coordinators want to call what they want to call. Up-and-coming hot-name coordinators who may think they're on a path to being a head of coach someday want they want autonomy or close to it. Pete Carroll's made it very, very clear that he gets involved on game day in offensive play calls at, at times. So that makes it difficult. I was chatting with Jason Churchill a little bit before I went on the air, and he's he's on the very cynical side that it doesn't matter. They're not going to get a, a really good one because um, he's going to know that he it's not he doesn't have control. We'll see. That ultimately is the key, but that brings up another question in my mind. And this is something I'm going to talk to Bill Alstad about tomorrow on the show. There's something really interesting going on in Seattle right now in Seahawks headquarters that I would love to be a fly on the wall with Pete Carroll and John Schneider. When they both signed their extensions three years ago, I believe at the time Schneider's extension went just, just beyond Carroll's. And I thought, okay, that's it. At the end of this deal, Carroll's going to walk away. He'll be 70 years old. Schneider's finally going to get his chance to hire his coach, run things his way. And then the bizarre timing this year where Carroll gets the, the five-year contract extension at his age. And then the loss on Saturday had me thinking, man, John Schneider can't be a happy guy right now with his head coach because he sold out to win this year. The Jamal Adams trade, mortgaging the next two drafts, uh, bringing in Carlos Dunlap, making some of the moves he made, bringing Greg Olson in on a one-year deal at $7 million when that cap space we all felt could have been used elsewhere, defensive line in particular at the time he was signed. It's, it's a pretty easy connection to make or conclusion to make that Schneider can't have been happy with how this ended on Saturday against the Rams with everything he staked on this season. And so the fact that Carroll came out yesterday and said, I'm offended you would suggest that I would fire Brian Schottenheimer and fans don't want to hear it, I know, but we're going to run the football more. And then this morning, 
Schneider gets his five-year extension, he's going to be here two years beyond Carroll's current deal ends for one year. Carroll will be 74 years old by then. Schneider is going to get his chance to run this organization and hire his coach. And then within hours of that extension being announced, this news breaks that Carol and Schottenheimer met and agreed to part ways because of philosophical differences. I have a hard time believing that Brian Schottenheimer said, hell no, I'm not going to go back to running the football more. Because look at his career. That's what it was based on. That's why everybody hated the hire in the first place. Because he was just a guy that ran the football and had a boring passing game. Ran the football for Rex Ryan with the Jets. Ran the football with the Rams. I have a hard time believing that he would say that. He didn't get a head coaching job or interview anywhere. It was reported the Jets were interested, but they've moved on to their second round now. No interview for Schottenheimer. No interview in Houston where he was reportedly uh, recommended by a member of the search committee. He doesn't have any leverage. That seems odd to me. I think, and this is just me. This is just me talking and speculating. I think John Schneider's involved in this. I think he made his feelings clear. And the fact that he got his extension, got the support of the owner, that he's going to be here beyond Carroll, even though Carroll holds the VP title, I think he's involved in this. And if he is, then he may be pushing for one of these guys. Because again, I'll say it again, you can run the football more. You can be more physical and have a more effective running game. And that doesn't mean running on first down, running on second down, chuck it on third down. It doesn't. You can do both. Watch the playoffs for the next couple of weeks. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. You'll see New Orleans do it. You'll see Green Bay do it. You'll see... Well, maybe not Kansas City. <laughs> Kansas City may just chuck it chuck it around the field. You'll see Buffalo do it. You'll see Cleveland do it. You'll see these playoff teams do it. They're more balanced than the Seahawks were the first six games of this year, except for Kansas City. So keep your eye on that. Keep your eye on the names. As the names come out, ask yourself, what does this guy do? What has he done? Because that'll tell you. That'll tell you. So just wanted to give you my quick thoughts. It's huge news. I thought we were looking at a boring offseason with no draft picks and no cap space and uh, and Carroll sticking to his guns and being Mr. Stubborn and I'm not going to know. And now we get, we get the hope because here's the thing. And I don't want to give too much away. We're going to talk about this a lot more in depth tomorrow on the live show. There's still, as, as, as upset as I still am about what happened Saturday and as pessimistic and cynical as I am about the next two or three years of this team because of the cap challenges and the lack of draft picks, there still is a chance that you can get the most out of this roster and get closer to being a championship contender. And that is for the offense to be more consistent and more effective consistently. Because I'm telling you, what we saw in the second half of the season this year defensively was legit. And that whole unit, essentially, I think they're going to bring it back. And there's a lot of things to like about that side of the football. There's some young core pieces there now. And there's some superstars too. And so from day one next year, that defense is going to be pretty solid. 
So the offense, with an all-pro, Pro Bowl-type, Hall of Fame-type quarterback, the right play caller, if he and Russell can get on the same page, and that's a whole nother episode of the show, if he can get through to Russell, and here's the final point I'm going to make, they can succeed, and they can be a good enough offense to win and appease Carroll stylistically and be a championship contender. And if you don't believe me, watch the Packers play this weekend. Because what was everyone saying two years ago about the Packers and about Aaron Rodgers? He's done. He's finished. Not an elite quarterback anymore. Can't get it done. He got Mike McCarthy fired. He's a locker room cancer. The Green Bay Packers agreed. They went out and drafted a quarterback in the first round. And it took, it took over a year because 2019 was not always smooth sailing. There were reports of friction and Rodgers pushing back against what Lafleur wanted to do. But Matt LaFleur was the right guy to get through to Rodgers and employ the right system around him. With an offensive roster that I would argue isn't as good as what the Seahawks have. And now they look like the best team in football to me and could win a Super Bowl this year. And Aaron Rodgers is hands down the MVP in my book. And those two seem like the perfect pairing. Didn't happen overnight. And it may not happen overnight with Russell and whoever they bring in, but it can. And that's the example to look at. So think about that as you watch the Packers play this weekend. And I got I to gotta keep an eye on the Packers myself because that's Erica's team. She's a Wisconsin girl, so we'll be watching that. Uh, hopefully you'll be watching. I will be live streaming the show tomorrow, 10 a.m. Pacific time. The Emerald City Sportscast on the 360 Sportscast Network. You can also get the Android app for the 360 Sportscast. That is out and working well. You can set it up as an Alexa skill. Or you can go to 360sportscast.com and listen to it on the live player. I will also be live streaming it on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, just like I am right now. Also, please, if you're watching this on the new YouTube channel, the Emerald City Sportscast, please go there and subscribe to that channel. Um... Uh, it's getting off to a good start, and uh, there's a lot of cool things I want to do there. Some behind-the-scenes, some extended cuts. You'll see an extended hour and 10-minute interview with Jason Churchill there on all things Mariners baseball and rebuild, and even some Seahawk talk that was too long. Uh, I had to edit quite a bit of that for last week's show. So join me live on Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll keep our eye on the Seahawk news. Bill Alstad will be joining me tomorrow on the show. Thanks for listening. Um, we'll see you tomorrow. Go Seahawks. Go Mariners. Go Cooks.